Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of the Personal Finance Show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 164. It's titled, Optionality, When to Keep Your Options Open and When to Commit. Today, we'll be discussing financial options and optionality and how the characteristic of options, including those that determine their value, have a much broader application than just purchasing a buy or call option on the Spider S&P 500 ETF. In fact, the more interesting and valuable options are those that many don't recognize as options. We'll also look at the downside of always keeping our options open and never committing. One of the earliest examples of a financial option is from Aristotle in his work, Politics. He tells the story of the philosopher Thales of Miletus, who, as Aristotle writes, because of his poverty, was taunted with the uselessness of philosophy. Tired of this incessant badgering, Thales decides to make some money so he can prove, as Aristotle writes, that it is easy for philosophers to be rich if they choose but this is not what they care about. Thales determines in winter that there is going to be a bounty olive harvest that summer. So he raises a small sum of money to put deposits to to secure the right to use all of the olive presses in the area. When the harvest arrives, Aristotle writes, there was a sudden demand for a number of presses at the same time. And by letting them out on what terms he liked, Thales realized a large sum of money. Aristotle suggests that it was Thales' knowledge of astronomy that allowed him to predict there was going to be one of the largest harvests of olives ever, and that would allow him to rent out the olive presses at such high rates. Yet Nassim Nicholas Taleb points out in his book, Anti-Fragile, that, quote, Thales put himself in the position to take advantage of his lack of knowledge. Thales paid small deposits, that gave him the right, but not the obligation to use the olive presses if there was a surge in demand. He structured an options contract with an asymmetric payoff. If the harvest was poor, his losses would be limited to the deposit premiums he made. If the harvest was great, his gains would be many times what he paid to to secure the use of the olive presses. Now, I recently got an email from Christopher. He is a listener to the show and a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. And he had just finished a book that he thought I was I would like, and, and I definitely did. It was called The Wisdom of Finance, Discovering Humanity in the World of Risk and Return. And it was written by, and I'm going to maybe pronounce it right or wrong, a little aside on pronunciation. So, for example, Thales of Miletus. I looked it up on YouTube, like three different explanations on how you pronounce that. I couldn't find any audio recording of how you pronounce Mahir, M-I-H-I-R-A Desai, D-E-S-A-I. But that's what we're going to call Mr. Desai. Great book. He told the same story of Thales and this, this early options contract. 
He writes, people in finance love options because of the nature of this asymmetric payoff. Losses are contained and gains are unlimited. And experiences that create optionality, educational experiences, for example, are valued precisely because of the asymmetric nature of the payoffs. And that's really the most valuable characteristic of options. It's this asymmetric payoff. Losses are contained just to the premium paid, and that's how financial options are structured. For example, a call option on Apple stock, as I record this, Apple is priced about $145 a share. And a traditional call option is you're going to pay a premium, in this case, $3.25, This is an option contract that expires in September. And if, and your strike price, so if in September, the third week of September, when the option, I think it's the third week, might be the second week, tells you how how infrequently I buy options now. But sometimes in September, when that contract expires, if Apple's stock price is above $150 a share, you get all the gains. So if it's $200 a share, you get $50 is your earnings. And for that, that premium, you pay $3.25. If the stock closes below $150, then you lose your premium. So the amount of the loss is known up front, but the gain is unlimited. Now, Talib in Anti-Fragile, he says, and he focuses mostly on non-financial options, But there's two elements. There's asymmetry, which we've talked about, and there's rationality. And he writes, the rationality part lies in keeping what is good and ditching the bad. In other words, to to go into any options contract, and he gives the example of trial and error and deciding, well, one, knowing when to take the profits. In other words, to be rational to, to not see an options contract that's in the money and then not take the profits. Perhaps out of fear. And an example would be perhaps you get a new job offer based on you went out and got some new training, some new education. You have a new job offer. There's an option, some potential unlimited upside. And your premium was the time you paid in, in terms of education. But if you don't take the option, keep your options open perhaps you don't take it out of fear, then then maybe there's not necessarily irrational, but sometimes those fears can be irrational. But the idea is, is to always be looking for options and then recognize them as such. And then when appropriate, go ahead and choose to exercise the option and step in and take that risk. Talib also gives another element of options. In that with options, we don't care about the average outcome, only the favorable outcome. And that's because there's limited downside, the premium that we paid, the effort that we put forth with the potential unlimited upside. And because we don't care about the average outcome, that means we we actually crave more volatility because we're protected on the downside and we're capturing the upside. And and we discussed volatility in episode 159 of the podcast, what you need to know about volatility. And the idea is that in, in terms of financial contracts, for example, or financial options, 
the higher the volatility, let's take the S&P 500 option where the volatility, the implied volatility is known as VIX, the higher that volatility, the more expensive the option. So options right now are less expensive because expected volatility is low. And when volatility spikes, people crave the safety of downside protection and are willing to pay a higher premium for that protection. Likewise, investors will pay a higher premium for a call option where you benefit from the particular security going up when expected volatility is higher because the probability that the option will close in the money or above its strike price is higher. Desai writes, the most distinctive aspect of options is how their asymmetric nature makes them particularly valuable when the environment becomes more risky because you have little to lose and much to gain. Events that make outcomes more extreme are welcome. In other words, options, because they are a form of insurance, are more valuable when life becomes even more uncertain. Now, Talib has some fascinating insights on this concept that when we hold an option, we don't care about average outcomes, only the positive ones because we have limited losses. He writes, authors, artists, And even philosophers are far better or much better off having a very small number of fanatics behind them than a large number of people who appreciate their work. The number of persons who dislike the work don't count. There is no such thing as the opposite of buying your book. And this absence of negative domain for book sales provides the authors with a measure of optionality. He goes on, better off having a high percentage of people disliking you and your message combined with a low percentage of extremely loyal and enthusiastic supporters. Options like dispersion of outcomes and don't care about the average too much. So, which is fascinating when it comes to options. There is no negative book sales. You either pay the premium in terms of writing the book and perhaps the book does well and you you have much greater gains in terms of the time you put in, or the book doesn't. But all you've lost is the time and perhaps you put some money into getting a book self-published. And it's like that with many of our activities, because oftentimes the premium is just our time as opposed to money. And it could be writing a book, starting a blog, launching a YouTube channel. And there's little downside in terms of of that time. Now, when we typically think of options, we think of financial options contracts, call and put options. But Talib writes, explicit options tend to be expensive to purchase, much like insurance contracts. They are often overhyped. And we and we see that when when people want that downside protection the most, that's when that's when volatility has spiked and the premiums are much higher. But he goes on, but because of the domain dependence of our minds, we don't recognize it, option contracts, in other places when these options tend to remain underpriced or not priced at all. Sometimes those options are free. And one of the things that I've been trying to do is just look at my life and things that I experience. Where are there embedded options or optionality and how am I taking advantage of it? And in the great example is trial and error. Just tinkering is what Talib says, where there's small errors and potentially large gains. 
He writes, any trial and error can be seen as an expression of an option. So as long as one is capable of identifying a favorable result and exploiting it. And, and that's where the rationality comes in. Be able to see where there's a favorable result and take advantage of it. This past weekend, LaPrell and I were in Denver and I had a meetup with some members of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. And, and one of the, the members there was Matt. And he, he mentioned how fascinating it's been to watch my little business grow from, in terms of the podcast, from the, the improved sound quality over time to launching Money for the Rest of Us Plus, formerly The Hub, to the other experiments that I'm doing. And I often get listeners email me about business ideas or other people I know that want to launch a business. And my first advice is put it together and launch it. Just, just don't wait till it's perfect, but launch it because you need to interact with the mar- marketplace. You need the feedback so that you can iterate and, and adjust. That's what the trial and error is. And so each little iteration is, is small. And the, the cost of, of trying out different things is small as opposed to raising large sum of money where you have to make a, you're making a big bet. And if it doesn't work out, particularly if you've taken out loans, it can be very costly. So we want small experiments. So trial and error to where the cost of each experiment in terms of the premium is small, but the potential upside is much greater. But in order to do that, to interact with the marketplace, you, you need to be willing to accept criticism. And I, I recently had this experience. I was listening. Occasionally, I search for money for the rest of us on Google. I don't know if you do that with, with your business or whatever. You just search, search your name. What's out there? And I was searching an app called, uh, I think it was called CastBox. And there was a, a podcast I hadn't, hadn't heard of with a title labeled Money for the Rest of Us. And, and the podcast was, I think it was called Just Listen to Yourself. For 30 minutes, the podcast host critiqued my show, Money for the Rest of Us. And, and he was brutally honest. And some of it stung. He said, I was a breather. And I thought, what in the world is that? And then I listened to myself. And you're right. I breathe like most people, but I'm going to find a way, and I have, to, to reduce the sound of breathing and the audio quality. So little by little, you make the audio better. Now, some of his critiques, I'm ignoring, and that's what you have to do. You have to sort of differentiate between the positive and negative. He, he suggested the show Money for the Rest of Us. He thought it was a beginner show because of the rest of us. And in my mind, the rest of us means those not institutional investors, not Wall Street insiders, but the rest of us. But it is not a beginner show. It is, it is for those that have a, a foundation. Beginners often listen to Dave Ramsey. But if you want more of investing, you have more of a base, a starting base, then it, you know, beginners can, can catch on, but it's not strictly a beginner show. It's more intermediate level. He had other suggestions, such as oftentimes I, I give the title and go right in to the opening anecdote or story, and he found it disorienting. So if you'll notice in this week's episode, I, I have more of an introduction what we're going to talk about before going in to the opening. But we have to separate out the criticism that's fair and we, we can apply and that makes sense and those that we can ignore. We have to make those choices. And that's, that's part of optionality as we get those critiques. 
Another experiment I'm doing right now is the money for the rest of us YouTube channel. I see an opportunity. The financial education in YouTube is not great. So many of the YouTube channels are focused on picking individual stocks. I don't do that. I focus on assets allocation and macro issues. So I'm, I'm paying the premium in terms of my time to get better learning about lighting, learning about framing, improving the, the sound quality, the presentation, and I've gotten feedback. Some of it pretty pointed, things I can do better, and then I'm, I'm slowly iterating to, to get better over time. And, when, and as we do that, we find there's synergies. I'm better at YouTube because I have podcasted for three years, because I now understand how to edit audio better. And, and so you, you get synergies as you continue to iterate and exercise that optionality uh, of ongoing trial and error. Before I discuss the downside of having too many options, let me share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. So on our way to Denver, just outside of Idaho Falls, we picked up a hitchhiker. His name was Trez. He's 23. He was heading toward Gillette, Wyoming. He grew up in Oklahoma. He had just been in Oregon. He attended a rainbow gathering. This, these are events put on by the Rainbow Family of Living Light, which according to Wikipedia is a kind of a counterculture hippie group 
been around since the 1970s. And there's been, he said there were over a thousand people. It was pretty hectic. So he decided to leave. But in, in talking with Trez, it became pretty clear he, he was sort of drifting. He had all these options that he could pursue. He last worked at McDonald's. The last job he had back in December was able to save up some money and now was traveling to kind of get over. He says he was an, he's an introvert. And he's trying to just get out and meet more people. And so we asked him, well, have you thought about blogging and writing about your experiences as you travel? And he says, I'm not good at committing. And so I don't even want to start because I know I will give it up. And that, that was a little sad because here he does have all these options, but he's not willing to choose. In the book, The Wisdom of Finance, the author writes, any commitment necessarily must overcome the loss of option value that choices close off. So commitments of various kinds become difficult given the extra burden they bear. It's not uncommon to hear people in finance talk about marriage as the death of optionality. Implicitly, the act of marriage is characterized by the loss of something, future choices, rather than the beginning of something. As a result, a focus on the creation and preservation of choices can ironically lead to an inability to make choices. It's great to have options, but at some point we have to choose. We have to start that process of trial and error. We have to have a bias toward action. We have to learn something, commit to something, do something, follow that spark of curiosity. Desai in his book mentions the story by Herman Melville, Bartleby the Scrivener, a story of Wall Street. Bartleby was a a scrivener. He was a copyist. This is in the mid-1800s. He worked for an attorney who's the narrator of the story, and he copies documents. And and part of being a copyist is that sometimes they get together in a group, the, the scriveners and the attorney, and they examine documents. And the attorney asked Bartleby to, to come examine the document. And Bartleby says, I prefer not to. And and then, well, first off, the, the attorney is just, just dumbstruck that he refused, but he preferred not to do it. And then he just wouldn't. And at some point, he decided he didn't want to copy documents anymore. And he was actually living in this, this office He'd, he'd be there early in the morning. He'd stay late at night, but it turned out he was living there. And it just became so frustrating to this attorney because he wouldn't prefer to do anything. He he would give things. I mean, there was times that he just says, well, I, for example, at present, I prefer to give no answer, says Bartleby. At present, I prefer not to be a little reasonable. I prefer to be left alone here. So he doesn't copy. So it just prefers not to do anything. And it becomes so frustrating for the attorney that he eventually moves his office to, to and Bartleby just stays there. And eventually Bartleby gets evicted. But the attorney goes back and tries to convince him just to, to do something, to choose to do something. Gives him an example of, you know, you, you, well, he says, either you must do something or something must be done to you. Now, what sort of business would you like to engage in? Would you like to re-engage in copying for someone? Bartleby says, no, I prefer not to make any change. And he and he kind of seems reasonable in the sense that 
Well, so the attorney gives him some suggestions of other particular op- occupations, and Bartleby says, no, I would prefer to do something else, but I'm not particular. In fact, he really was. He just didn't want to do anything. He says, at present, I prefer not to make any change at all. And and he gets taken to prison, and he refuses to eat eventually, and and doesn't say, but the, the implication is he passed away. But he didn't choose And when we have options, ultimately, we have to choose and recognize when we do make a choice, when we exercise an option, that can narrow our other choices. But that's what makes us better people. Desai quotes Michael Jensen, who is a a financial academic that talked about leverage and how companies oftentimes don't take on enough debt or enough leverage. But there's some benefits to leverage which he says, Jensen is writing, says the threat caused by failure to make debt service payments serves as an effective motivating force to make such organizations more efficient. So the leverage, the need to having made a commitment, having debt service makes them more efficient because they have to service the debt. Desai writes, leverage in life involves a similar benefit. We frequently know what the right thing to do is and even agree we should do it. But for myriad reasons, we don't actually take the action, be it exercising, stopping smoking, or spending time with our children. Indeed, the problem of self-control is fundamental for many of us, and the best solution to it, as much research has documented, is to make meaningful commitments to others to ensure that we do the right things. These commitments might be expensive bets with friends, costly memberships in health clubs, or forts savings plans. Such commitments do the same thing as debt does for a modern corporation. They restrict choice to increase the odds you'll do the right thing. We've started in our dog, Maggie, the Shih Tzu. She's a commitment device. She makes us go out and take a walk and get some additional exercise because of the commitment. The side goes on. The logic of the leverage bonus extends further. By embedding yourself in demanding relationships and making commitments, you may well just become a better person. In offering advice to young people, Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, said, don't make friends who are comfortable to be with. Make friends who will force you to lever up. Commitments to smart and demanding people keep us from doing stupid things. We gained from those commitments. So when we commit to a relationship, to a partnership, to a marriage, There's some risk there because we are giving up future options, but by doing it, it can make us better. Oftentimes by joining a company, sometimes we want to do stuff on our own business-wise, but sometimes partnering up because our weaknesses are offset by someone else's strength, we can do more and and we we can be better. And so we have to commit. Now, there's one more element of options before I close is in terms of option pricing, the shorter the time toward expiration, the less expensive the option. So back with this, this call option for Apple with $150 stock price, the option that expires in a few days sells for $0.30. Cents. But I gave you that the price of the option that expires in September is $3.25. And so the, the longer the time frame, the more expensive the option. And I've been thinking about this recently. Our neighbor that in this house we just moved into He's 91. His, his time 
his life expectancy is at 91, it's probably two years or three years. So very, very small. And we were out visiting with him after walking our commitment device, our dog Maggie. And, and he was, this was after a big 4th of July weekend. He had had dozens of family members over. He had gone to the fireworks show and he was sitting there and he said it had been a wasted day. He says, every day I try to resolve to at least do one thing. And he's always reaching out to other people. I mean, he's been over our house and just getting to know us. And he reaches out to, to young people in the neighborhood and offers to take them to lunch. But he wanted to scout out the fireworks show. So he got me to drive him around for places that he and his family could go to see the fireworks. And so he's out doing things, constantly exercising his options, even though his, his the time, his life expectancy, I was going to say time to expiration, but that, that sounds bad. His life expectancy is so short. He's exercising his options and he's trying on it, trial and error. And I asked him, how does it feel to be 91? And it was interesting. He says he doesn't, he doesn't feel old at all. He, I mean, he obviously can look at himself and, and feel old, but he doesn't feel any different. And so he's continuing, doesn't have the strength he had, but he's continuing to exercise his options. And that's what we need to be willing to do. We need to be willing to commit, to lever up, to, to tinker, to experiment. And, and ultimately, exercise our optionality. So that's episode 164. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. That's also where you can sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll email those show notes to you weekly, along with a summary article and other valuable content. And that's also at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing the economy. Have a great week.